Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are an awesome, awesome God, Father. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us in the truth of your word. That uh, you would open our, our, our eyes, Father, to see the truth. The, that our spirit would be awakened and quickened. And that we, Father, would be people that would walk in the integrity as your children. As your sons and daughters, Father, we would bear your name. And that uh, you would uh, continue, Father, just to uh, work in this church as only you can. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, what uh, we are looking at, and it's very interesting, and today's message is very, very important. Uh, there's kind of what we call in the Bible, it's called the dichotomy, uh, which is a fancy-dancy way of saying contradiction, but we don't ever like to say that there's contradictions in the Bible. But it's a, a contradictory thought and process. If you've been with us, we've been, we've been looking at Jesus as he's coming into a cold, dead, stale world. And as Jesus is there, he's trying to wake up people from the staleness of life and give them everlasting life, the joy of their salvation. And Jesus, as he looks upon the multitude of this world and sees that there's many diverse people, cultures, and things, God has a way of sorting out those that are truly His. He's looking for those that are awake, those that are curious, those that have the Spirit that's quickened to them, we talked about. And we talked about the parable of the sower. And we said that there's uh, the sower is the guy going out planting seed. You thought of Johnny Appleseed throwing the seed all over the place. Some falls on the uh, uh, path and the birds come by and gobble it up real quick. Some of it falls into some ground that's shallow uh, and it can't bear root, but yet it springs up and then you watch it die real quickly. God's Word sometimes does that in people's lives. It springs up, it's there, people are, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the next day they seem to walk out and they're spiritually dead all over again. Nothing seemed to happen to really change their life. And then there's another group of people where it goes out into the uh, uh, weeds and the, the weeds grow up and it grows up with the weeds and the weeds choke it out and it doesn't bear fruit. And so finally the Lord sees that some people and some of us, hopefully we can see that the seed comes down and is planted and it bears forth a hundredfold. And Jesus is talking about what makes a true disciple. What makes that person that is the one that can receive God's Word and receive it? And if you've been with us, we said that we have an obligation to be alive in Christ. And we said the goal was to bear fruit. A real Christian, we said, bears fruit. So if you would, uh, Jesus even entertained that thought as he is there. And the lady in the crowd, you know, last in the beginning of this chapter, uh, as Jesus was speaking, it says, as it happened, it says that as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Oh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. 
And so this lady's going, oh, Jesus, you're so special. And yeah, the mother that brought you into this world is special. And Jesus, speaking of the holy, sacred, virgin mother, he turns around and poo-poos all that and says, hey, who cares about my mother? He says, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And with Jesus, as he's speaking, in, in light of all the teachings he's talking about bearing fruit, he's turning around and he's saying, you know what? You can have all the lip service you want. You can praise my mother all you want. But if you're not listening to God's word, if you're not keeping God's word, if you're not bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God, then you are a false disciple. And you can hear that being leveled. Bear fruit, bear fruit. Most people hear that concept and say, well, to bear fruit, that means you've got to go out and evangelize. I've got to go out and win a hundred other people to Christ in order to bear forth fruit. I want to be one of those seeds that multiplies and has a hundred other disciples that I've led to the Lord and, and trained them in the way of Christ because I want to be one of those true seeds that bears forth fruit for God. And so, you would, if you would, Jesus has been painting a picture of laying that trip on you. What have you done for God lately? And if you haven't done much for God, you've got no right to call yourself a believer in God. So we all receive that message, and it, it's meant to put a little tingle down the spine and to wake us and to perk us a little bit. And, and yet now Jesus is going to balance that, and you have to listen to what's being said here because he's now going to go into extreme radical statements of shock value to make another point. And you have to be able to listen to what Jesus is saying. He's going to come at you one way, he's going to come at you another way, and he's expecting you to be able to understand the difference of what he's saying. So we're going into our text today of, of Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 37. We'll finish the chapter today. And it turns around and it says, And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Hey, Jesus, after you're done dealing with all these people, come on over to my house for dinner. So Jesus, great, can't pass up a free meal. He, uh, he went in and he sat down to eat. And you can just see Jesus. He says, man, I've been ministering to people all day. I've just taken on all the forces of darkness. I'd like to sit down and have a meal. Hey, how's your wife's meatloaf? He's not there. He's not there to enter into a religious debate. Jesus isn't there to sit down there and, and impress anything. He's just sitting down. He goes in to eat. But if you would, the Pharisee, when he saw it, he said, he marveled. He's watching. He's staring at Jesus. He's watching all of Jesus' behaviorisms, if you would. And he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. So Jesus is coming in off the road. He's been ministering all day. He's looking forward to that plate of meatloaf. He sits down to eat, and he doesn't wash his hands. So all of us men are very sympathetic with this. <laughs> We go, who likes to wash your hands, you know? Why do you got to go through that? And every mother would always tell you, wash your hands before you eat so you don't get the slimy, greasy, contagious things that are out there and you know, you're putting things in your mouth. And it's not the fact that Jesus didn't wash his hands and he was, you know, being unsanitary. It's a fact that you have to understand what was happening with what a Pharisee is and what to a Pharisee was ceremonially washing their hands. 
So we've got to back up and we've got to describe to you what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee, as we're being introduced to them into the text, you're seeing that they're religious people. They're people that took great pride and, and honor in, in a very strict, simple approach to the Bible. They heard God's word. God said, don't eat this. They didn't eat it. They didn't question it. They didn't doubt it. They said, God's word said it. I believe it. That settles it. They're very strict, difficult people. They had a, a way of carrying out uh, God's laws to a T. Ad nauseum. They, they would do it to, to be difficult. The, the, the standard picture of the Pharisee was one that would say, you know, God told us to eat an animal with the chew the cud and split the hoof and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, if a fly goes into your mouth as you're walking down the street, uh, and rather than eat that animal that is unclean, I'll stick my fingers down my throat, I'll throw up on the street to get that fly out because I would never, ever, ever want to do anything, no matter how minute, that would violate God. They had a way of washing. I don't know if you ever watch any of these uh, doctor shows on TV and you get a chance to see doctors as they turn around and they go into surgery. And you can see that when they take a, uh, uh, to go into surgery, doctors have to take this little bristle and they go in and they scrub all the fingers this way. Then they have to scrub all the fingers this way. Then they have to go all the way up and all the way up and then they got that big sink that uh, you can get your hands underneath it and they take your elbows, they kick it on this way and then they rinse all the water down. And then you have to make sure that you know all the water drips off. Then they have to dry it a certain way and then they put on rubber gloves. <laughs> and you're like, wow, is that like overkill? And if you would... That's a, a, a Pharisee's way to wash your hands. They would be so upset if, you know, you're washing your hands and some of the water comes down to your elbow and it dripped onto the cutting board that uh, you were chopping up your chicken on or something. And they go, oh, now all the chicken's bad. Throw it away because your dirty hands just touched that, that spot. And, and if you would, Pharisees had such a level of righteousness I, they make the Pope look like a slouch. You know what I mean? And, and when you think of them, the way that they dressed, the way that they acted, you'd, you'd go down and you'd see a Pharisee and you go, that's a Pharisee. His hair, his, his, the way he dressed, his clothing, his garb, his shoes, the way that he attended to the Sabbath and the laws and the regulations that were in front of him, he lived it to a T. So Jesus is now saying, uh, you know, anybody who does uh, uh, the will of my Father. And you can hear every Pharisee in the crowd saying, I like this guy, Jesus. He's telling people to do God's work. He's out there telling them to be good and holy like me. And almost you can see him saying, Jesus, come on over to my house. And yet as Jesus is saying, you have to do the right thing. You have to bear fruit. You have to do, 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 do. Every Pharisee is going, ooh, I like this guy. Ooh, I like Jesus, come on over to my house. And now Jesus is going to turn around and he's going to start slamming these Pharisees. He's making some very strong, offensive statements. It says, verse 39, says, Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean. He says, But your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. And there's a rebuke there. 
Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? He says, but rather give alms of such things as you have. Then, indeed, all things are clean to you. So Jesus is going to turn around and he's saying, you know what? There's an outward and an inward. We have to understand that as believers. There's the actions, the things that we do that people can watch. And there is a way that we can do things on the outside. Jesus wants to turn around and says, you also have to deal with the inside. It's not just washing the plate on the outside to dress it up. It's a matter of having the inward part of you correct. And he turns around and he says, you just can't dress up the outside. You just can't throw a, a, a nice garb on somebody and say that they're holy. You have to become spiritual from the inside. And if you would, I'm going to sit down there and say, he's giving you the solution right here that is going to break the bonds, the bonds and the, and the corruption of greed, he's telling you, is to give. Giving generosity is breaking the hold that greed has on your life. If you're greedy, and even though on the outside you may appear to be righteous, but in your heart of hearts you're greedy, the thing that breaks greed is to give, to be generous. Now, we're going to look at a couple different things here. Uh, Jesus is going to talk about tithing. And uh, he's going to mention a couple things here about dollars and cents that need to be given away. To tithe, for all intents and purposes, is to turn around and to say you make uh, $100. You take a tithe, a tenth, that's what the word tithe means, and you give that to God. So there is a very mechanical process of calculating your dollars putting in the 10% margin and writing the check off to the church, to the synagogue or whatever you may be. Jesus is not talking about tithing here. He's saying if you'd really like to break the bondage of tithing, he says to give alms. Alms are in, in this context are, uh, is the concept of giving somebody uh, in an a, a impulsive way. You ever hear... Walmart sets up its stores so that when people walk through, they have a display item in the front of it or whatever store is, and they want to get an impulse buy. You walk by it and you go, man, I got I, I to buy that. I, I wasn't thinking of buying that, but I walked in the show, store to buy a set of shoes. I had to get those, but man, I just couldn't pass up that beautiful display of tennis rackets. So I just decided to buy me a tennis racket as well. And that's an impulse buy. And if you would, uh, to give alms is an impulse gift. You, uh, you would give alms to the poor. They, I always think of the beggar on the street with a little blind guy, the little guy's little cup out, and he goes, alms, alms, alms to the poor. And to give an alms, is, it's really a twist of a Greek word on how they came up with it, but it means it's an impulse gift. You look at this poor beggar. He's blind. He's got his little cup up. You're on the way to the grocery store to buy a loaf of bread. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up to you and says, Can you help out a poor blind man like me? And you go, Yeah, well, there you go. Here's a quarter. I didn't calculate this. I didn't tabulate it in my life. But I want to turn around and have a quarter, have a dollar, take some money. It's, it's a matter of pity. It's a matter of an impulse. I wasn't thinking of it. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying there has to be an impulse. There has to be an inward desire to give out of somebody that would 
be the true heart of who you are and not just a calculated giving of a matter of fact, this amount belongs to God. And and you're seeing now where uh, uh, Jesus is telling you, don't focus on the outside. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he says, he says, take heed that you do not do your righteousness before men to be seen of them. Outwardly, people can watch us and we want to turn around and give and say, oh, I want everyone to see how generous I am. I want everyone to see that I'm such a wealthy, fine, you know, giver to the church because I want you to think that I'm righteous, I'm holy, but Jesus says, don't do it to be seen by men. You know, give in secret. Don't ever let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you give, you should do it between you and the Lord, not to blow a trumpet so that everybody can see you. That word to be seen in Matthew is where you get the word uh, theater. And, and it's almost as if people like to put on a performance. They like to have a theater show on their giving. I want everyone to see that I'm so generous. Why do they want that? Why do people want to brag about how much they give? Because they're insecure. Because they're full of fear. They want reassurance from men. They'd like to get the pat on the back now, so they want a perception because inside there's a sense of death and a sense of shame. And Jesus is turning around and he says, if you'd like to break the power of greed, he says, now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, verse 40, did, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? God sees it all. He says, but rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clear to you. He says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe uh, mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others behind or undone. And so Jesus is saying, okay, you guys, you're real you know, intent on how you live your life. You sit down there and you can think of the Pharisee and he's saying, I've got to give 10% of everything that I have to God. I'm going to take 10% of my money, 10% of my time, 10% of everything that grows in my garden. I'm going to put that over to God. And you can see this guy as he's mint and rue, or you can see that he's coming in with just these finite little seeds and He's taking almost a razor blade and he's cutting it up and he's counting down every little seed that this guy has. And he's saying, well, these ten belong to God and this goes here. Pharisee, he's working triple time to make sure that whatever is God is God. I'm going to take 10% of whatever I have and give it to God. My vow is to, as we at Calvary Chapel, we want to teach... uh, when the Bible speaks, we speak. When the Bible is silent, we're silent. So if you would, uh, uh, I hate to talk about giving. I always say, well, when the Bible covers it, I'll cover it. When the Bible's silent on it, I'm silent on it. And so hence, you only hear the sermons on giving as they come up with the text. And if anybody were to study the New Testament all the way through every single verse of the Bible... This is the only verse in the Bible that would give you a hint towards telling you that you have to tithe. 
uh, I hear a lot of preachers give massive amounts of sermons saying that you have to tithe. If you don't tithe, they quote the Old Testament all the time, you're robbing from God, you're a thief and you're a liar, and you know, you have to give to the church or else, you know, you're going to, you know, be a hypocrite. And if there's any mention of that at all, it does stand clear as you read this text that all of a sudden God says, well, you should have done that. You should be tithing, but you also have to go above and beyond that. Uh, I don't like to teach tithing in the sense. I really do believe that that's an Old Testament principle. I really do believe that there can be some misnomers in what happens with giving a 10%. I firmly believe that when you give your life to God, you need to give all your life to God. It's the same argument with the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath being the holy day that you would set aside to worship God, do we want to give God one day, you know what I mean, or do we give God all seven days? When I look at my finances, my money, I don't want to sit down there and say, well, God, you get this 10% and the rest of it's mine, and I can do whatever, whatever I want. And that thinking is what Jesus is really trying to attack. And he's really trying to say, you know what? You can't just look at certain things and say, God, this is yours and this is mine. That leads to corruption. You're only dealing with a surface, a superficial uh, a level to go to God. Uh, we always used to, you know, everyone hates the, the guy who goes to church and acts all holy and then turns around and, steals a car to get home from church. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 we go, what, what is it with those type of people that they go to church, they're all spiritual, and the rest of their life they're just living like heathens. And, and Jesus is trying to sit down and to say, don't think that your Christianity is so superficial that church is just a matter of get, going to, you know, uh, uh, giving an hour to God on a Sunday morning. You throw your 10 bucks in the plate, your 10%, and then you can walk out the door and live any way that you want. And I'm sorry, there are a multitude, the majority of Christians act just that way. They're totally hypocritical. Hypocritical is a theatrical term for the guy who wears a mask and says, I'm a hypocrite, I could wear a mask and you can see this, but I can take the mask off and then I'm somebody else. We hate the hypocrite. Jesus hates the hypocrite. And he is striving to say you need a purity to give all that you have over to God. So we don't say, God, I just go to church on Sunday and the rest of the week I can do whatever I want. I have to sit down and say, Lord, every day that I live is yours. I have given my life over to you. All my money, it's not 10% of it is yours, all of it is yours. And if you'd like me to give and to take part of it and to give back to the church or to whatever the, I need to do, then so be it, Lord. It's yours. You can do with it as you will. And 10% does work as a good number. You can sit down there, and I've seen many people who do tithe. They take a, a, a portion of their money, and they're saying, God, I'm giving it back to you, not because I owe it to you, but in order to say, Thank you for what you've done. And I've watched their lives just be blessed so much in the process. My life has been blessed so much in that process. It's a good, healthy practice. But please, so I covered it. This is the one verse that covers it. 
But that's not what Jesus is talking about of saying, please give 10%. Matter of fact, he's saying just the opposite. In this passage, he is turning around and says, we don't want your tent. We want the whole heart. And the Pharisee, as they thought that they were doing so much and that they thought that they were doing so good, Jesus is going up to a Pharisee who is working so hard to look good, to bear fruit so he can stand in front of God. And he's going to turn around and he's going to tear him to shreds and say, you guys are just hypocrites. Wow. That's what's being said here. And so Jesus, he's also been talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's talking about you have to bear fruit, but it has to come from love. Notice if he would, he says, woe to you Pharisees. Now, a woe is what we said is the opposite of being blessed. So if he said, blessed are you Pharisees, you're thinking of putting a blessing upon them. A woe, you go up to your horse and he's riding too fast, you want to stop him, you go, whoa. And he's saying, you're going the wrong direction. Stop. Woe. And he's saying, pain and sorrow and suffering are yours. He says, woe to you Pharisees for you tithe. You've done the right thing of splitting your little cucumber you know, seeds down the part and you're giving that to God but all manner of herbs, and you do the worst thing. You pass by justice and the love of God. And he's going to turn around and says, your heart's not right. These you ought to have done. You should have been doing all those things, but you can't leave the others behind. You have to have the whole enchilada. You have to have the inside and the outside put together. So he says, woe to you Pharisees. And he's just... Railing. Jesus is sitting there trying to have a meal, trying to enjoy the meatloaf. <clears throat> Notice, if you would, that Jesus is sitting down there. And this guy, this Pharisee, he didn't say anything to Jesus. If you read this passage, he didn't turn around and say, Jesus, I noticed you didn't wash your hands. He didn't sit down and get in Jesus' face. He's sitting down there, has Jesus over, liked what he had to say, Jesus comes up, doesn't go through the whole ritual of washing. He just sits down there and scarfs on Mama's meatloaf. And as he's sitting down there, the Pharisee's sitting back going, I wonder if this is right. And Jesus turns around. And I, I, I find this amazing. He's, Jesus has done this a couple of times. He starts to go in and starts ripping this Pharisee to pieces. And the guy could say, hey, man, I was just thinking this. Leave me alone. I didn't say anything. I was not like I offended my guests. I didn't sit down and say, well, Jesus, the soap's over there. You know, He's sitting down there saying, I was just thinking what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is turning around and reads this guy the riot act. He starts slicing him to pieces. So Jesus, a guest in the house, sees the guy sitting back there. And then Jesus starts being the worst guest possible. Jesus, have a little courtesy. The guy's feeding you. You know, hey, you don't bite the mouth that feeds you, the hand that feeds you, right? And you go, shut up. But Jesus is just going to go off. And what he is saying by no uh, 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 small stature here, no small measure of words, he is going to sit down and be as rude and offensive to call somebody a hypocrite and to look at a Pharisee and to say, you're not doing God's will. Pharisee's going, what are you talking about? I spend my whole life consumed with what does God want me to do? How do I wash my hands? We argue constantly on how we should take communion. When do we take communion? How do we you know, take the, the cup and all this type of stuff? Do we pray? Do we drink wine? What do we do? They're consumed with every single thing about it. And Jesus is coming up here and says, Hypocrite. 
He goes, he goes, you, you're not doing. You ought to have done. You shouldn't leave. You're neglecting something. He turns around and says, verse 43, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees. He says, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greet in the marketplaces. So we still have some empty seats up front. I'm glad you guys, you know, don't do that fight to get the good seats up here. Isn't it amazing in church? Everyone wants the back of the house, the front of the... But anyway, he's saying... The Pharisee would say, I want the best. I want to sit in the front row. I want everyone to see that I am so holy and spiritual. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. So Jesus is tagging very clearly, this concept that there is a hidden, concealed sin in people's lives. He's not going to be deceived by an outward appearance, a show of spirituality. He's going to say, man, you've got to go right towards your heart. And he's saying, whoa, you guys. You like to be greeted. You like everyone to call you rabbi and say, oh, rabbi, how are you doing? You eat that up, and, and, and yet... Inside is death. You're seeing him now. He's throwing in a few what He says, woe to you, scribes. So a Pharisee was a spiritual leader. He was kind of like a priest, if you would. He wasn't a priest that worked in the temple, but he was a religious leader. He went around and criticized everybody for what they were doing. He wanted to impress everybody for what he was doing. And you're seeing several groups of people being brought up here. And now you're looking at what's called a scribe. A scribe maybe in our day and age was what we'd call a secretary. It, it was somebody that actually took God's law and they would have to always meticulously copy it over and over. They would write it on a parchment that would dissolve every 50, 60 years and so the scribes were people that would sit down there and have to write it in, in such a fashion that they'd have to recopy it. So only a few people could actually look at the book. And then a scribe would say, I'm entrusted with the ability to copy this book over. So people's lives are going to be dependent upon me copying accurately the Bible the Old Testament, the law. And if there's just one jot, one tittle, one small thing out of place, it could change the whole meaning and societies could be completely changed and cultures could be changed if I make a mistake copying this thing. And what happened, they would take the law, the, the Torah, the way that they had it, and they would keep it all in a roll and, and put it all inside this little house, if you would, and the priest would open up the doors and people would you know, march around and sing and they'd take it out and then they'd read a certain passage of it and then another guy would verify that it was read correctly. Sometimes they would sing certain parts of it and put it to music and they would say, this is the law. It's very sacred, very holy. And inside, that thing would be locked up. Back then, they wouldn't have uh, too many locks. And uh, for you, to have a key would mean that you were very important, i.e. that you were entrusted with something that was worthy to be locked up. So the scribes were people that walked around, and they would have, if you would, on their little hip, they would have keys. And they would be dressed in a white robe, and they'd have certain garb, 
And as you were sitting down in, in the crowd and you watched a scribe walk by, a scribe wasn't only just something to see, it was something to hear. So you think of the the janitor today. You ever see the janitors in the school when you're growing up and they got the big key ring on them and they got 7,000 keys and he's walking through the, you know, the, the, the hallway, if you would, and there's this big jingle and he says, <clears throat> in a sense, <clears throat> there's a sense of pride there to say, I got me some keys. I can get anywhere I want to in this building. Nothing is concealed from me because I got the keys. And the scribes would walk down the street and they'd have this little jingle to them and you could hear the keys you know, hitting each other and you'd go, hey man, look at me. I'm, I'm important. I, I, the law could change all the societies. I'm entrusted with it. And there was a sense of pride that was coming out in the scribes. The Pharisees were religious people. The scribes were people that copied it over. And we're going to see some lawyers here in a little bit. And that's another whole group of people. But the scribes, he's now throwing in, he says, you're like graves which are not seen, he says. And the men who walk over them are are not aware of them. So if if, if you would, you're thinking of, well, here's a grave site and... uh, you go to the, the, you know, maybe one of the tombs is, you know, the markers, the graves, you know, marker there is, is faded or broke away. And, you know, you'd have this concept, well, you never want to step on, you know, where the body is actually laid. You want to walk around that out of respect. So they would have a grave marker to tell you that somebody's dead is buried there. And if you didn't have that grave marker, then you just plow over it and say, didn't even know it was there. <clears throat> and Jesus' point is, is that so many Pharisees and Sadducees, they look real good, but inside you think there's just death and there's misery and there's hatred and there's anger. And so Jesus is coming up and he's saying it's not an outward. You have to change the inward. I love the, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, Volkswagen commercial where they, uh, they're driving down the street and they all got little blow horns in their thing. And they're saying, I'm, you know, I'm better than you. I make more money than you. And they're saying that their cars make a statement on how good they are, you know. I'm making up for my inadequacies in life. You guys ever see that commercial? Am I you know, I'm crazy? And it says, VW, you know, less ego emissions than any other car, you know. And, and you go... And in a sense, that's the same thing. People were always having these, you know, this is my car. It makes a statement of who I am. I'm rich. I'm successful. I've got all these things. I'm, you know, I'm whatever the statements are. And, and, and in a sense, Jesus is saying, man, let's go to the heart of the matter. He says, then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, and I like this, uh, teacher, um, you're just kind of going off here and you're ripping apart your guest, if you would. He says, by these sayings, uh, you reproach us also. And this guy's going up, and maybe he was a dinner guest as well, and he's hearing Jesus just start going off, calling everybody a hypocrite. He's ripping the Pharisees apart for their hypocritical, lack of fruit-bearing, inward problems. And then the lawyer turns around and says, hey, 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 Jesus, man, you're stepping on my toes. Man, Jesus, you offended. You you hurt my feelings when you said that. (laughs) So understand Jesus is going to say, I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to be rude, offensive, and I'm coming at you with both barrels because I am fighting for something. I'm fighting for the truth. And so one of the lawyers, and they're saying, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. You're hurting my feelings. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) 
He says, For you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. So he's turning around and he's saying, Man, you lawyers, you're killing society. And in a sense, things just haven't changed. Lawyers and their, all their wit and skill, they have accumulated, uh, what was it, $140 million was given to the lady who spilled hot chocolate on her lap. And you go, wow, talk about a burden. Here's poor McDonald's saying, man, I'm just trying to serve a nice hot cup of cocoa. McDonald's, who's probably saying, my, our only goal was to make sure it's hot. We would never want to serve cocoa that's cold. We'd get a complaint. Duh, you want hot chocolate. And, 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 and in a sense, the lawyers come up and says, well, you didn't put it on the cup. For, you know, how were they supposed to know that hot chocolate's hot? And, and if hot chocolate's not written that it's hot, well, then we're going to sue you and get $140 million. Bingo. And talk about laying a burden on every single, you know, fast food, fast food joint out there now has to say, you know, uh, 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 you've got to look out that your hot chocolate is hot. They're laying a burden on everybody. That's exactly what it is. They're coming up with this huge thing. There was just another lawsuit in the news just the other day of uh, this uh, tractor. Was, I think it was a John Deere tractor or something. It was out there cutting the grass at a daycare center. And uh, the kid gets out of the daycare center. I wonder how that happened. He uh, seems to run up behind somebody cutting the grass on a mower. Uh, the thing rolled backwards, hit the kid, and uh, killed him. And now they're going to sue the manufacturer of the guy uh, of the lawnmower equipment. And you go, well, we designed a lawnmower to be, a, you know, ripping grass to pieces. And you'd think anybody would be smart enough not to get underneath something. But now... They're going to sue because there should have been a switch that if it ever rolled backwards that it should have shut it off. And, and you're just watching where things are being, this burden is being placed upon America that unless you anticipate every single thing that could ever happen to anybody at any given situation, you're going to get sued. And what's happening is in Jesus' time, you had lawyers, people who studied the law, the Ten Commandments of God, and then they started to tell, well, this is what it means, this is what you do, and we have to say this is the blanket policy that's going to cover everything, and unless you do that, you're going to burn in hell. And pretty soon the, the web was woven so tight that there is no way that you could ever do everything, and you always just walked away. And the lawyers just never did anything to make a man's life better. They just wanted to tell everybody what to do. The world is full of people that tell everyone else what to do. And Jesus is saying, that's not the answer either. And I like this. He says, for you... He says, woe is you, verse 47, for you build the tombs of the prophets. You love certain people in the, in, in the old forefathers. Today's Father's Day. And your fathers killed them. And it's almost like we have a way of looking at history, history, revamping it so it's all painted in pretty colors. And then we turn around and say, gee, I wish we lived back there in those days because those were the grand old days. Now, interestingly enough, I was... Uh, when I did that wedding in Virginia about a month ago, a uh, couple months ago, I guess, um, 
the bride and groom got married, and then they were going to go down to, I don't know, Cancun or something for their honeymoon. And so when you do the wedding and before you fly out the next day, they went and spent the night at a bed and breakfast. And uh, they went to this house that was called the Patriots Inn. And the Patriots Inn, as they're telling me the story, you can look it up on the web. It's there in Portsmouth, Virginia. And it was this house that turned around and said, uh, this guy built a house. And he built it in the 1770s, pre-Revolutionary War. And as he's back there in the 1770s, the guy was a reverend. It was Reverend John Agnew lived there. And Reverend John Agnew uh, was what they called a Tory. He was very sympathetic to England. So this was before there was a revolutionary war. The guy was just sympathetic to England. He was a reverend. This would be called a parsonage. And he's saying, hey, man, let's not be rebellious. Let's just do what we're supposed to do. Pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Let's just all learn to get along. And it was our general, before president, our general, George Washington, who went up to him and said, burn his house down. <laughs> he didn't have insurance back then. He just burned the house down to the ground. And then finally some other guy come up and, rebuilt it, and hence they named it the Patriot Inn. And you think of that, you go, man, our, our George Washington, I got him on the dollar bill and on every quarter. He's such a great guy. And to think of him acting like, if you don't do what we say, we burn your house down. <laughs> That's our founding fathers. And yet we can turn around and, and look at so many things. And, you know, I'm not throwing rocks at George Washington, and I'm not putting down America, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, we, you know, things had to get done. And, but there's, there's a, a view of, of our view of history, and it's amazing how we can glamorize, paint over so many problems in this world. And we just like to put everything in a broad, nice happy paintbrush. And Jesus is turning around and says, you know what? You take you. You put yourself back into any other situation with all the prophets with all the things there. You'd probably run around and burn people's houses too. What makes you think you're any different? What makes you think you're better? You think you're spiritual? And this is a slap across the face. This to a lawyer, to a, a, a scribe, to a Pharisee is the, the strongest insult to them to say, you too have a hard heart. He says, verse 48, he says, In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them. And you build their tombs. You make monuments. You know, the Washington Monument out there to a guy that burns down people's houses. And you're, you're, you're all clapping your hands, patting yourself on the back and calling it the glory days. He says, therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and persecute. You can sit down there and, and, and you'd kill them all again. That the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be, listen to this, may be required of this generation. <clears throat> he says, from the blood of Abel, which was... Adam and Eve, and you got Cain and Abel, and uh, Abel was killed by Cain. So right out of the chute, if you would, you got the first people alive. The blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. So whoever this guy Zechariah was, there's a lot of debate on what exactly this was. But he was obviously somebody that everyone knew during the time of Jesus 
was some poor guy that was out there offering and preaching about God. And they, did, they said, ah, shut up with that God stuff. And here he is at the altar of God. And they killed this guy right on the spot. God's altar, holiness, peace, you know, all the things of God. And there's a murder on temple grounds. Gee, let's just go up and kill somebody right here in front of the pulpit. You know what I mean? And you want to say, if you've got to kill somebody, do it in the back alley. Have some decency. And the idea that murder, I guess whether it happens in the back alley or right in front of anything, it's just happening and really it's going from A to Abel to Z all the way from the beginning of the end. There's a little thing going on here. But Jesus, notice what he says. He says, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple, whoever this guy was. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required. And he says it again of this generation. So notice, if you would, that uh, uh, Jesus is saying, all these things, listen to this, all these things that have happened in history, they're all there as God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet. They're all coming down to this generation. Apply that into right here, right now to everybody in this room. Jesus is turning around. He says, he, he could easily be saying, everything that's ever happened is coming down to this moment in time right here, right now now because jesus is going to turn around and he's going to say you have to make a decision in your life right here right now based upon all the things that have been happening god has been doing a long tedious work in your life to get you to a place to be right here right now to ask yourself the question are you really just living as an external christian or internally as well is god doing a work in your life i find that amazing So he says, verse 42, he says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away, listen to this, the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in, you hindered, you tripped them up. People that were actually trying to do the right thing, you turned around and messed up their mind. And he's saying, you lawyers, you made a mistake, you took away, and we want to look at this, what is this key of knowledge? In verse 53, it says, And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. So they're just now coming at him with both barrels. And and, and cross-examined him, and to cross-examine about many things, lying in wait for him, and seeking to catch him in something he might say, that they might accuse him. We'll end that with that, but you've got to understand the trailing thought is that these guys were mad, they were upset, they were offended, and they knew that Jesus was coming against them because Jesus is making a very strong accusation, a critical point that we have to be able to understand as Christians. And he's saying, you guys have made a blunder to the largest degree, and he's saying it very simply. If all you're doing is external works without your heart being made right first, everything you do externally is a waste of time. We in Christianity have a very simple approach to it. What you want to do is you need to have your heart transformed. You need to turn around and to say, Lord, I'm sick, I'm ill, I'm a sinner. 
Jesus Christ, come into my life. And we believe that as you say that prayer of Christ, come into my life, the Holy Spirit fills you, fills you. And as the Holy Spirit fills you, it gives you a new heart and a new life. And then with the new heart and the new life, you then have a desire, a desire to turn around and to do the right thing. Christianity... There's always one that says you have to start from the inward and that inward would work its way outward to bear forth fruit. You can never go the other way. I am going to do all the things outward and hopefully that would change me to make me a better person inward. And Jesus says, wrong answer. And and when we cross that line, you are taking away the key of knowledge, verse 52. He says, you've made the critical mistake. You've taken away the key of knowledge. What's the key of knowledge? Very important here. The key is the proper use of the law. This was the critical mistake that the lawyers, the scribes, and the Pharisees made. They didn't use it properly. In a nutshell, the law for all intensive purposes, you take the Ten Commandments, you take the 500 and whatever commandments or the 300 commandments or however you break your commandments down, just take the Ten. The Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt do this, 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 and this, and you better not do this, 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 and this. That's what the law tells you to do. Now, anyone can look at that law, and hopefully the law acts as a mirror in your life and shows you the failures in yours. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And you better not do this. You better not do this. Have you done those things? Have you not doing those things? We look at ourselves and we go, I failed. I'm miserable. Do I really love my mom and dad? Or am I a rebellious kid? Have I lied? Have I cheated? Am I a murderer? Jesus says, if you've just so much as hated your brother, you might as well have killed him. And I have to look at that law, and that law should turn around and make me be broken. That's the purpose of the law. And I should turn around and say, Lord, I'm a failure. And if the law has done its perfect work, according to Paul, you're going to sit down there and say, Jesus, I need you to come into my life. Please forgive me. I am a humble sinner that has failed miserably and I'm now asking you to put your spirit inside of me so that I would have everlasting life. The Pharisees took that away. What they turned around and they said is, look at the law. It tells you not to do this, 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 and, and, and you better do that, that, and that. And you know what? I've done all those things. I'm good. I do every single thing in the law. The Pharisees made the law, listen to this, manageable. They looked at it and they says, if we come up with all the rules and regulations and do everything that's there, then the law, it's something I can do. Matter of fact, the more I read the law, the more I'm filled with pride. I just, what? It says not to murder it. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't, I haven't slept with anybody. I mean, I think the neighbor's cute, but I was, I pat myself on the back. Yeah, I'm good. I'm real good. Yeah. And when I get to heaven, Man, God's got to be impressed with me. I can just tell you, when I get up there, roll out the red carpet, because here I come, because, wow, I'm just so good. And Jesus is going, man, if that's your attitude, you're doing the complete opposite of what the law wants to do. You're only looking at things outwardly. And until you take a good, long, hard assessment of your heart, and you start to recognize, 
You're a failure. You need love. You need God in your life. And if you don't recognize that, you're lost. And you're watching where Jesus is turning around and He's saying, listen to this, it has nothing to do with whether or not you wash your hands. It has nothing to do with all the external things. You have got to get the heart right first. If the heart is not right, and you can run around as a Pharisee and still do all these wonderful things, because Jesus was just laying on us a guilt trip to do all these wonderful things. And even if you have all these wonderful things, but you don't have a heart that's right with God, it's a waste of time. And so Jesus is making a critical, important point to us as believers to say, first, get your heart right. And when your heart is made right, and you're sitting down there, and you're saying, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you. And then you're going to walk down the street, and you're going to see somebody saying, alms for the poor. You're going to be an impulse buy. You're going to have the ability to turn around and to say, Man, my heart just went out to the guy. The guy's born blind. That's just wrong. Man, here I am deciding whether I should supersize my bake meal or not. And I, I could take that extra 49 cents and give it to the guy and just live on a regular Big Mac, can't I? Yeah, I can do that. The poor guy needs 50 cents. Man, I, I know. He's probably an elk. I know. He's probably a wine. I know. he's you know. But, man, the guy's blind. And you're going to start to have a heart. Listen, you've got to have a heart. And you're going to see pain in this world, and then you're going to do something about it. And then that becomes a work of righteousness. You're actually doing something right. And God says, if your heart's not in it, no matter what you do, it's never right. So the first thing you do is get your heart right. And amazingly enough, these people, when they were challenged, and they said, man, you're not right with God. And they said, Shut up. How dare you tell me I'm not right with God? I'm going to redouble my efforts. I wake up every morning. I have to worry about where the little water comes off my elbow. I've got to sit down there and worry about so many things in my life. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to, I'm going to rip your head off, Jesus. How's that for righteousness? And yet, that's, that's exactly what needs to happen inside of our lives. That is the, the critical truth to being, listen to this, a real Christian. A true disciple of Jesus is someone who doesn't do everything, but has a heart that's made right, and then that heart bears forth fruit. And it's all God doing it all. And Christianity becomes the happiest, most fun and joyful thing you could do. If someone came up to you and says, man... You're going to go down and feed the poor. Oh, those poor, they're ugly, nasty, stinky people. But you know what? If your heart's made right, you're going to say, man, okay, I'll I'll take care of whatever needs to get done because it's the Lord working through you. Christianity is fun. It's easy. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's just allowing the things in your heart to come out because your heart is made right through Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. So we don't have to lie about our heritage on how we're the true Father's Day. I don't need to impress anybody. Admiral. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for being an awesome God. And I pray, Father, that we would not have to carry the burden of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. That we wouldn't look at ourselves in light of our failures and feel bad, but we would see our failures, Father, and know that You can forgive us, restore us, and heal us. 
Father, I pray that you would do a mighty work in our lives. That someone here needed to hear this message, Father. And that this would change our lives, Father, to know the freedom, the love, and the grace that is offered by your Son, Jesus. Father, I just pray that you would do a work, Father. Father, that you would take this church, these people here today, and that we would elevate our walks, Father. Not because of our diligence or our hard work, but because your Spirit would do a miracle. Take us, Father. Shape us and mold us as only you can, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.